have now for sale, for all of you out there who are art lovers, we have for sale genuine pictures that have been brought all the way from Gay Paris. And all of you know what kind of pictures they turn out in Gay Paris. Uh, they will come to you in a genuine Mexican hand-tooled simulated plastic leather wallet for just one dollar. And before we can get underway with the next half of the show, we will have to sell all these wallets. So come on, gather around, gentlemen. We also have candy kisses for sale that contain genuine art studies. And uh, by the way, don't tell them where you bought these art studies. You might get all of us in trouble. We'll carry on now as best we can. Let's go, gentlemen. Gather around. got to get right to it. I'm going to start this week with a totally different attitude. Everything is businesslike. We're going to get it all organized. I'm going to straighten up my desk. I'm going to set fire to the office. And I'm going to clean up the whole rotten, crummy, stinking mess. And now I'm going to begin this week with reading for you a piece of really rotten poetry. When Noah, perceiving that it was time to embark, persuaded the creatures to enter the ark, the dog, with a friendliness oh, truly sublime, assisted at herding them. Two at a time, he drove in the elephants, zebras, and canoes until they were packed like a box full of screws. The cat in the cupboard, the mouse on the shelf, the bug in the crack, and then he backed in himself. But such was the lack of available space, he couldn't tuck all of him into the place. So, after the waters had flooded the plain, and down from the heavens fell blankets of rain, he stood with his muzzle thrust out from the door the whole forty days of that terrible pour. You see, it's all timing. The whole 40 days of that terrible, terrible downpour. Because of which drenching zoologists now hold the nose of a healthy dog always is cold. And so it behooves us to realize in this time of trial and tribulation and strife that there is a reason for every doggone thing. And sometimes you'd never even guess at it. Why? The wherefore, the if, the but, and the and. And so, friends, once again, a lesson is learned. A lesson is learned. That was very nice. I thought that was kind of nice. Now, you see, we've started out the week totally... You know, getting every, I'm going to get a haircut this week, too, as a matter of fact. I've decided that. It's been since last November, and I think I'll do that. You know what I'm going to do this week? Take a shower. I'm going to do that. And I'll tell you another thing I'm going to do this week. I'm going to get the, a new cartridge put in my ballpoint pen. It has not been writing since last November. And that's <laughs> it's a kind of a little difficult. Oh, you want to hear another rotten piece of poetry? Another rotten piece of poetry, please. 
yeah. Waltz in. Waltz in, ye little kids. Come on, gather around my knee and drop them books. And drop them first pot hooks and hear your yarn from old me. Yeah. I cannot sling a fairy tale of Ginny's fierce and wild, for I hold it as unchristian to deceive a simple child. So I ain't gonna kid you. But as from school, you're drifting by, all you kids out there, I thought you'd like to hear of a spelling bee at Angels that we organized last year. I thought you'd like to hear it. Now, it weren't made up of gentle kids, of pretty kids like all of you out there. I can see you're awful pretty. But it was made up of gents as had their regular growth and some of them enough for two. There was, for example, Lanky Jim of Sutter's Fork, Bilson came from LaGrange, and Pistol Bob, who wore that day a knife by way of change. You start, you little kids, uh-huh, you think that these are not pretty names? You sitting back there and listening, Pistol Bob, eh? Uh, each, each man, yes, sir, had a name, and there was a man behind each name. Now, my name is Old Truthful James. I'm going to tell you this story. For example, there was Poker Dick from Whiskey Flat. Old Smith came from Shooter's Bend. And Brown from Calaveras, which I had no better friend, I might add. Three Finger Jack. Yes, sir. My pretty little kids out there, three fingers. You got five, right? Well, Clap cut off two. So he had three. And kind of singular, too, that Clap now ain't alive, however. I'll tell you that. Eh, it was very wrong, my dears. Clap doing that, cutting off them fingers. And Clap was much to blame. Likewise was Jack in after years for shooting at that same. But you know what you can do. Things come, things happen. The nights was kind of lengthening out. The rains had just begun. Uh, when all the camp come up to Pete's to have their usual fun... But we all got kind of sad, like around the barroom stove, till Smith got up. Yeah, promiscuous-like. And this remark he hold. There's a new game down in Frisco that, as far as I can see, beats Euchre, beats Poker, and Van Toon. Hey, you guys, they calls it a spelling bee. Then Brown of Calvera simply hitched his chair and spake. Poker's good enough for me. And Lanky Jim says, shake, Dad. And Bob, he allowed he weren't proud. He said, I might write that the man who tackled Euchre had his education squaw. I figured he'd know how to spell. And this brought up Lenny Fairchild, the schoolmaster, who said he knew the game and he would give instructions on that head. Now, Lenny said, for instance, you take some simple word, says he, like separate. Just take separate. Now, who can spell it? Well, dog my skin if there was one of eight. One of eight. Well, of course, this set the boys all wild at once. The chairs was put in a row. At the head was Lanky Jim, but the foot was Joe. And high on the bar itself, the schoolmaster was raised, and the barkeep put his glasses down and just sat. And silent, he stared. Well, the first word that come out was parallel. Seven let it go by. Till Joe waltzed in with his double L, twixt the A and the E. Well, for since he drilled them Mexicans in San Jacinto's fight, there weren't no prouder man got up than Pistol Joe that night. Till rhythm come. You ever tried to spell rhythm? Well, he tried to smile, and Joe said, uh, <laughs> they had him there. And Lanky Jim, with one long stride, got up and took his chair. Little kids, 
My pretty little kids, it was touching to survey these bearded men with weepings on like schoolboys at their play. They'd laugh with glee and shout to see each other lead the van, and Bob sat up straight as monitor with a cue for a rattan till the chair gov out incinerate. And Brown said he'd be darned if any such blamed word as that was ever in school, ever learned, never heard of such a word, incinerate. And then thesisis. Ever hear such a word? Thesisis. Come, they all sprang up and vowed the man who rung another blamed Greek word on him be taken out and hung, and they'd have done it. Hung him right there. As they sat down again, I saw in Dilson's eye a flash, and Brown of Calveras was a twist in his mustache, when at last Brown slipped on Gneese. Gneese! Kind of worries that. Bilson took his chair. He dropped some casual words about some folks who dyed their hair. He'd let it hang there. And then the chair grew very polite. And the chair said he'd adjourn. But Poker Dick remarked that he would wait and get his turn. And then with a trembling voice and a trembling hand, with a wandering eye, the chair next offered Eider Duck. And Dick began with I. And Bilson smiled. Then Bilson shrieked. Just how the fight begun, I never knowed. For Bilson dropped, and Dick, he moved up one in them seats. Then certain gents arose and said they'd, they'd got a lot of business down in camp, and as the road was rather dark and as the night was damp, they'd... And then here got up three-finger Jack and locked the door. And he yelled right out. Not one of you mother's son gets out until that thy word is spelled. Eider duck. But while the words were on his lips, he groaned and he sank down in pain and sank with Webster on his chest and Wooster on the brain. And below the bar ducked Poker Dick and tried to look as if he's hunting up authorities that no one else could see. And Brown got down behind a stove allowing he was cold until it upsot and down his legs the cinders rolled. From that stove, you never saw nothing like it. And several gents hollered, Order! Let's stop all this! Until in his simple way, poor Smith began with, O-R... O-R... He was dragged away. Little kids, my pretty little kids, down on your knees, all of you. And pray... You got your education in a peaceful sort of way, and I know that nothing's happening out there in Jersey. They're not knocking your heads together. Bear in mind, there may be sharps as slings their spelling square, but likewise slings their bowie knives without a thought or care. I've seen them. I've lived. You wants to know the rest, huh? Well, that's all. In me, right here, sitting here, in me. Me. You see, the only gent that lived to tell about that spelling bee. I'm the only one. Yeah. He ceased and passed, that truthful man. The children went their way with downcast eyes and downcast hearts, but not to sport or to play. For when at eve all the lamps were lit and supperless to bed each child was sent with tasks undone and lessons all unsaid, no man might know the awful woe that thrilled their youthful frames as they dreamed of angels spelling bee and thought of big old truthful James. Terrible poem. Who wrote that? I'll give you a brass figure gee with bronze oak leaf palm.
You want to hear a really... I'm, I'm a real... I'm a real student of rotten poetry. That reminds me, this is W.O.R. And uh, we're here in New York. And uh, we have a note here. Would you please uh, bring me on a little more... Uh, set that at the beginning there. Uh, number uno uh, from the beginning. Uh, primera. Okay? Bring it in there. Sneak it in there. Got a very dramatic announcement to make here, friends. Here it comes. Here it comes. I can hear it coming. There it is. Oh, friends... Are you living a life, a shoddy life of, of struggle and woe, tears, and great fits of weeping in this ancient, ancient, dark valley of existence? Is your TV antenna outdated, friends? If you're watching a black and white picture haunted by millions of ghosts and clouded by snow, if every night you see three Walter Cronkites and two of them are drunk, if every night you see four Chet Huntleys and five David Brinkleys, and the one in the middle is telling dirty jokes, or if your color reception is less than you expected, <laughs> if the sky turns out to be yellow and the moon is a pure gold, friends, friends, I have a message for you. To get all the performance your TV set was built to deliver, get a Gavin Goldcrest antenna. Go all the way. Uh, go all the way into the 20th century. Gavin antennas are engineered and manufactured right here in the New York area to solve New York local reception problems. There is a Gavin antenna to solve your TV problem, color or black and white, on VHF or the new UHF stations. And Gavin antennas are built to stay on your roof with strong aircraft-type aluminum and revolutionary Psycholac insulators. Yes, so friends... To ensure the best installation at a reasonable price, Gavin antennas are available only through factory-trained, independent installation specialists. For the name of your local Gavin installation specialist, write to me. Just uh, That's spelled M-E-W-O-R. New York, New York. Isn't that exciting? Just write to me. We'll send it to you in plain sealed wrapper. You must be over 21. Don't tell them where you got it. We'll all wind up in This is one of my favorite rotten pieces of poetry. It isn't actually rotten because it's so great. Would you please bring me on some more of that? There it is. Oh, friends, there are strange things. Strange things indeed done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. The Arctic trails have their secret tales that would make your blood run cold. The northern lights have seen queer sights. Oh, they have. But the queerest they ever did see was that night. That night on the marge of Lake Labarge. That I cremated Sam McGee. Friend Sam McGee was from Tennessee, where the cotton blooms and blows. Why he left his home in the South to roam round the pole, God only knows. He was always cold, but the land of gold seemed to hold him like a spell. Though he'd often say in his homely way that he'd sooner live in hell. On a Christmas day, we were mushing our way over the Dawson Trail. Oh boy, talk of your cold. Through the parkas folded stab like a driven nail. Oh! 
If our eyes, we'd close, then the lashes froze until sometimes we couldn't see. It wasn't much fun, but the only one to whimper was Sam McGee. And that very night, as we lay packed tight in our robes beneath the snow, and the dogs were fed, and the stars overhead were dancing, heel and toe, Sam turned to me. And Cap, says he, I'm going to cash in this trip, I guess. And if I do, I'm asking that you... I'm asking you won't refuse my last request. Well, he seemed so low that I couldn't say no. And then he says with a sort of moan, It's this... It's this cursed cold. It's got right hold till I'm chilled clean through to the bone. Yet, taint being dead. It's my awful dread of the icy grave that pains. Oh. So I want... I want you to swear that foul or fair... You'll cremate my last remains. You'll cremate my last remains. Well, a pal's thing is a... a pal's need is a thing to heed, so I swore I would not fail. Just couldn't do it. And we started on at the streak of dawn. But God, he looked pale. He crouched on the sleigh, and he raved all day of his home in Tennessee. And before nightfall, a corpse was all that was left of Sam McGee. Oh, there wasn't a breath in that land of death. And I hurried, horror-driven, with a corpse half-hid that I couldn't get rid of because of a promise given. It was lashed to the sleigh. And it seemed to say, uh, you may tax your brawn and brains, but you promised. You promised true, and it's up to you to cremate these last remains. To cremate him. <sighs> well, a promise made is a debt unpaid. And the trail has its own stern code. In the days to come, though my lips were dumb in my heart, I, I cursed that load. In the long, long night, by the lone firelight, while the huskies round in a ring howled out their woes to the homeless snows. God, how I load that thing. And every day, that quiet clay seemed to heavy and heavier grow. On I went. Though the dogs were spent and the grub was getting low, the trail was bad and I felt half mad, but I swore I would not give in. And I'd often sing to that hateful thing. And it hearkened back with a grin until I came to the marge of Lake Labarge. came to the marge of Lake Labarge and a derelict lay there. It was jammed in the ice. But I saw in a trice it was called the Alice May. I looked at it and I thought a bit. I looked at my frozen chum. And then, here, I said, here, I said with a sudden cry, here is my crematorium. <laughs> Some planks I tore from the cabin floor and I lit the boiler fire. Some coal I found that was lying around and I heaped the fuel higher. The flames just soared and the furnace roared such a blaze you seldom see. And I burrowed a hole right there in that glowing coal. And I stuffed in Sam McGee. And then I made a hike for I didn't like to hear him sizzle so. And the heavens scowled 
and the huskies howled, and the wind began to blow. Oh, it was icy cold, and the hot sweat rolled down my cheeks. And I don't know why. And the greasy smoke and an oily, inky cloak went streaking down the sky. I do not know how long in the snow I wrestled with grisly fear, but the stars came out, and they danced about ere I ventured near. I was sick with dread. But bravely, I said, I'll just take a peep inside. I guess he's cooked. It's time I looked. And then the door I opened wide. And there sat Sam. Sat up there looking cool and calm in the heart of the furnace roar. And he wore a smile that you could see a mile. And he said, please close that door. Please close that door. Please close that door. It's fine in here. I greatly fear you're going to let in the cold and the storm. Since I left Plumtree down in Tennessee, Dad, it's the first time I've been warm. Close that door. Ah! Oh, yes. There are strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. The Arctic trails have their secret tales that would make your blood run cold. The northern lights have seen some queer sights, I'll tell you, grannies. But the queerest sight they ever did see. I'll guarantee you that. It was the night on the marge of Lake LaBarge that I cremated old Sam McGee. By George, our grannies. <laughs> you like that? How would you like to hear another one? A totally different kind. A totally different type. Uh, do you have in the view, you don't happen to have 50 great moments of music there, do you? 50 great moments of music? Well, what do you have? Just hold them up, all of them up there. Uh, no, none of that's going to work. I'll tell you what you do. In the fifth, uh, oh, yes, you have uh, uh, 50 love movie music there? Do you have intermezzo? What do you have on the back there? I'll show you some. I'll give you a cutie, huh? All right, five, two, cut four. Okay, and I'll give you a little doozy. Give me something nice and sweet and romantic this time. All right, a little sweet romantic music. I think you're going to like this piece of uh, this piece of. Uh... Well, I'll let you decide what it is. There it is. Isn't this lovely? Make it up there, large. Yes. Whoa, how sweet it is. Hey. This is the vamp, you see. They're playing this through the newsreel. Here we go. When Richard Corey went down home, and he came through town, we people on the pavement looked at him. Oh, he was a gentleman, from sole to crown, clean favored, and imperially slim. And he was always quietly arrayed, and he was always human when he talked. But still, he fluttered pulses when he said, Good morning. And he glittered when he walked, and he was rich. Oh, yes, richer than a king and admirably schooled in every grace. In fine, 
We thought that he was everything to make us wish that we were in his place. Ah, Richard Corey. And so on we worked and waited for the light and went without the meat and cursed the bread. And Richard Corey, one calm summer night, went home and put a bullet through his head. Kind of like that one, don't you? la da la ta ta ra ta ra ti ta ra ra ti ta 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 ti 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 ta tu ra ti ta ta ra ta you got to admit that Orson Welles doesn't have the sense of humor that I have. He's got a better voice, but I'm cuter. la ta ta ra ti ta ta la ta ra ti ti la ta la ta ra ti la ta ra ti Take out our company. This is my Jewish harp. Yes. This is Jewish harp music. Yes. And thundering down out of the north over the cold, icy Atlantic. The winds of evil blow. Roaring out of the eternal madness, the eternal anarchy of the far North Pole. Over which only primal nature rules. How do you like that one? You want to hear the rest of that? That's mine. I invented it. I'll never forget the time Goody Ace got up and he told this story and he said I'll never forget the time I'm sitting around the table at Lindy's see and Groucho Mark said to me what a fantastic ad liver what a sense of humor what a wit Groucho Mark said to me blah 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 and the entire audience fell into a fit and rolled on the floor screaming at Groucho's fantastic cutting ad lib wit and after all the uproar was over, Goodyear said, All right, Groucho never said that. I said it. But if I had told you that I said it, you'd all looked at me dumb. But because Groucho said it, you blew a gasket. With that, he sat down. <laughs> you kind of liked that sound of evil coming out of the primal anarchy, the anarchy of the North, didn't you? Oh, yes, and it screams past the ancient coasts of the Norsemen. Ah! Roars down the soft elfin shores of that fairest of isles. This blessed land. This jot of green on the raging seas. This England. Our England. That cold breath of the primal north. That ancient evil of sightless, sightless, soundless nature. Oh. I like that, huh? 
I've been around Kitty's camp. Do you want to hear about the North Wind? That's very good. Uh, you bring me on a little bit more of that, huh? Once upon a time, t'was long ago, there lived a worthy dame who sent her son to fetch some flour, for she was old and lame. But while he loitered on the road, the North Wind chanced to stray across the careless youth's path and stole the flower away. Alas, what shall I do for bread? exclaimed the weeping lad. The flower is gone, the flower is gone. It was all that we had. And so he sought the North Wind's cave beside the distant main. Good Mr. Boreas, said the lad, I want my flower again. T'was all we had to live upon, my mother, old and I. Oh, give us back the flower again, or we, we shall surely die. I have it not, the North Wind growled. But for your lack of bread, I will give you this tablecloth. T'will serve you well instead. Yes, for you have but to spread it out, and every costly dish will straight appear at your command, whatever you may wish. Well, the lad received the magic cloth with wonder and delight and thanked the donor heartily, <laughs> as well indeed he might. Returning homeward at an inn just half his journey through, he fain must show his tablecloth and what the cloth would do. So while he slept, the knavish host went slyly to his bed and stole the cloth, <laughs> but shrewdly placed another in its stead. Unknowing what the rogue had done, the lad went on his way and came unto his journey's end just at the close of day and showed his mother the tablecloth and told her of its power. Hey, good sooth, he cried. T'was well for us the north wind stole the flower. <laughs> Perhaps, exclaimed the cautious crone, the story might be true. Tis mighty little good, I ween, your tablecloth can do. And now the youth spread it forth and tried the spell. Alas, uh, t'was but a common tablecloth, and nothing came to pass. And then to the north wind far away he sped with might and main. Your tablecloth is good for naught. I want my flower. I want my flower again. I have it not. The north wind growled. But for your lack of bread, I give you this little goat to will serve you well instead. For you have but to tell him this. Make money, Master Bill, and he will give you golden coins, as many as you will. Well, the lad received the magic goat with wonder and delight and thanked the donor heartily as well indeed he might. Returning homeward at the inn just half his journey through, he fain must show his little goat and what the goat would do. So while he slept, the knavish host went sliding to the bed and stole the goat, but shrewdly placed another in his stead. Unknowing what the rogue had done, the youth went on his way and reached his weary journey's end just at the close of day. He showed the dame his magic goat and told her of his power. Good sooth, he cried, "'Twas well for us. The north wind stole the flower." I much misdoubt, the crone replied. Your wondrous tale is true. Tis little good for hungry folk your silly old rotten goat will do. All right. Good, Master Bill, the lad exclaimed. Make money. 
but alas, twas nothing but a crummy common goat, and nothing came to pass. And then to the north wind, angrily, he sped with might and main. Your foolish goat is good for naught. I want my flower again. And this goes on for 345 verses. That shows you that old folk tales are ridiculous. You want to know where that one came from? That was translated from the Icelandic sagas. And Iceland never got anywhere. You never hear of anybody. <laughs> you want to know what finally happened to that kid? He became a newsman. He's doing very well now. Oh, oh one more thing here. Do you have a the little uh, quiet music there in the bank? You know, the, the first film music there is kind of nice. So you flip it over there. I got a real dramatic thing I want to do here. Uh, do you like these rotten poems? I got some other good ones here. I have never read this one. Wait a minute. Just a minute. Hold it. Hold it. I'll tell you when. Here's one. Oh, gee, here's one in ancient Greek. Of course, uh, if I ever got out what they were saying, I'd be in the room. All of us would be in the slam. Can you imagine the day the entire listening audience gets busted? Because you know, you understand, of course, that you're a... Uh, an accessory. Because, you know, when they come in and they, they catch all these guys. How about that? Oh, this is kind of nice. You want to hear the... Yes, I think you might want to hear this. It's kind of sad, in a way. The embarrassing episode of Little Miss Muffet. Little Miss Muffet discovered a tuffet, which may never occur to the rest of us. And <laughs> I'm sorry, that <laughs> line there. By the way, where can you get a decent tuffet these days? Do they sell them at Castro? I mean, she, you know, you sit on a tuffet. Is a tuffet a small uh, footrest? What the heck is a tuffet? You know, for all, for all my life, I'm older now. we got to get this straight away here. Uh, has anybody out there got a got an unabridged Oxford there? Well, look up Tuffet for me. You know, you, after all, you know, Shakespearean scholars do not let a single word go by, and I want to know what she was sitting on there. Tuffet. Uh, while you're looking that up, please, it's spelled with two Fs. Literate people. I'll bring it up there. Little Miss Muffet discovered a Tuffet, which never occurred to the rest of us. And as twas a June day, and just about noonday, she wanted to eat like the best of us. Her diet friends was whey, and I hasten to say it is wholesome, and people grow doggone fat on it. The spot being lonely, the lady not only discovered the tuffet, but sat on it. Hmm. A rivulet gabbled beside her and baffled as rivulets always are thought to do, and dragonflies sported around and cavorted, as poets say dragonflies ought to do, when glancing aside for a moment, she spied a horrible spider. That brought fear to her. Fear. A hideous spider was sitting beside her and most unavoidably near to her. Albeit unsightly, this creature politely said, uh, Madam, I earnestly bow to you. I'm penitent, and I did not bring my hat. I should otherwise certainly bow to you. Oh. Although anxious to please, he was so ill at ease that he lost all his sense of propriety and grew so inept that he clumsily stepped into her plate. 
which is barred, of course, in society. This curious error completed her terror. She shuddered and, growing much paler, not only left her tuffet, but dealt him a buffet which doubled him up in a sailor knot. It should be explained that at this he was pained. He cried, I have vexed you, no doubt of it. Your fist like a truncheon. You're still in my luncheon, was all that she answered. Get out of it. And the moral is this. Be it madam or miss to whom you have something to say, you are only absurd when you get in the curd, and you're rude when you get in the way. That's terrible. Oh, I apologize. That's terrible. I apologize. Don't hold it against me. That was written by somebody named Guy Wetmore Carroll. Any poet with three names is a dangerous poet. And would use a thing like that. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> I got one more here. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's a very good one. I'm looking for it here. How about the one who says, who stuffed that white owl? You want to stuff that for an opening line? <laughs> uh, who stuffed that white owl? I got to find this, a very important one. Uh, how much time do we have? A lot of four minutes. I gotta find a four minute rotten poem. Oh, yeah, this is not bad here. A lot of these things I know I couldn't get away with. Listen, my children, who shall hear the midnight ride of Paul Revere? How long suspension you heard that one, huh? The midnight ride of Paul Revere? Patty and one of a dinner one day, credit all gone, no money to pay, stole from a priest, a fat pullet, they say. He went to confession just after. <laughs> Your reverence, said Patty, I stole this fat head. What, what, says the priest, at your old tricks again? Faith, you'd rather be stealing than saying amen. You want to know what happened to him. A lightning bug got in here the other night. there. A lightning bug got in here the other night. A regular hick from the real country he was. Awful proud of himself. You city insects may think you're some pumpkins, but I don't see any of you flashing in the dark like we do in the country. All right, go to it, says I. I hit a bull cat and that green spider who lives in your locker and two or three cockroach friends of mine and a friendly rat all gathered around this lightning bug and urged him on. And he lightened, and he lightened, and he lightened. You don't see anything like this in town often, he says. Go to it, we told him. Go to it. It's a real treat to us. And we nicknamed that Lightning Bug Broadway. Old Broadway, which pleased him. This is the life, he said. All I need is a harbor under me to be a Statue of Liberty. And he got so vain of himself that I had to take him down a peg. Ah, you've made lightning for two hours, little bug, I told him, but I don't hear no claps of thunder. Yet there are some men like that. When he wore himself out, Mehitable the cat ate him. 
that's uh, from your old friend Archie there. And so, friends... Oh, yes, uh, incidentally, that reminds me, uh, before I forget, uh, did, you happen, did you happen to hear what happened to the uh, Polish gentleman who threw himself at the ground? You didn't, huh? That's good piano playing. That's very good piano playing. There's nothing like good piano playing. As a matter of fact, uh, I like a good piano. You know, play good. Uh, I remember one time when I was a kid, see, I'm sitting out there and listening to the radio, and this guy came on and, and uh, had this piano, see? And, uh, well, it, you know, it was a piano, see? It came on like da 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 And the announcer sat down, if you want to amaze and mystify your friends and be hit at the party. You've got to learn how to play the piano good. And if there's nothing else you can do, if you can't tap dance or play a fiddle or tell jokes, or if you've got bad skin, what you should do is learn to play the piano good. And you can learn to play the piano in just seven minutes a day. Just seven minutes a day using our magic two-color slide rule device. And all the chords are there for you. In just seven minutes, and in seven days, you will be playing the piano just like this, amazing and mystifying your friends. Money back, satisfaction guaranteed. You must be delighted. Well, kids, I was taken in by that. And you see before you today a guy that can play the piano good. But nobody's knocking on the door. Just when I learned to play the piano, in come the Fender bass. And that took care of me. In came the... In, no, 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 give me the theme. That's it. Just when I learned to play the piano, in came the electric guitar. Well, I'm paying now. I made my first down payment on that. I'm, you know what I did? I just made the first payment on a 4,000-watt audio amplifier. And I'm going to get these big 75-inch Bogan loudspeakers... And I'm going to just blast this town. I'm going to play Columbia, the gem of the ocean, on my electric guitar. I'm going to get a. I'm going to get a guy that plays the electrified drums. I'm putting an amplifier on my kazoo and my juice harp, and I'm going to go on the road. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the big dough, and I'm going to be loved and admired, and you know, by everybody. So you see, there's where there's a will, you know. There might conceivably even be an agent. So, uh, we, you know, you may never know. There's bookings now. Have you noticed that managers of groups now are more important and more famous than the groups? And they got longer hair? Well, that's part of the scene. That's the way it goes. Archie always said that, too, you know. He said, it ain't the poet that makes the dough, it's the guy that makes the books. So remember that, kid. Be a manager. Forget all that tap dancing and all that. Forget how to learn to read and write, kid. Learn how to paste pages together. Be a bookmaker. Huh?